another edition of Variable Deep Postulate Ensemble Projects, a podcast dedicated to supporting musicians not necessarily entrenched in the New York City or Los Angeles music scenes, but every bit as deserving of the same level of respect that's typically visited upon musicians from those markets. My name is Nick Drozdoff, your friendly neighborhood studio man, and I'll be acting as your host. Today I'll be interviewing percussionist, composer, and producer Thor Bremer. Thor has some amazing music to share and some wonderful ideas about how to survive in the 21st century as a freelance professional musician. So really, stick with me here and check out this show. This is going to be an interesting program today. Before we get started, I want to mention the two companies I currently endorse. First, I play Wedge Trumpet and Trombone Mouthpieces, created by Dave Harrison of British Columbia, Canada. Every brass player really should at least try these mouthpieces. If you are a Wedge responder, you're going to be glad you did. Just go to wedgemouthpiece.com. Next, I play Gets and Trumpets from Bass Trumpet to Piccolo. These are fine horns and are totally built in the USA in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Nothing's assembled from parts made elsewhere. Everything is made right there in Elkhorn, from the bells to the vowels. I love my Getsons, and I think you'd love them too. Just go to your local music instrument supplier and ask about Getson brass ones. Next, this is my 14th show. I've been at this for about a year. All of the previous shows are incredibly interesting. They are all still available for you to listen to in the archives. So, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this show. Then go back and listen to the previous shows that you might not have had a chance to hear yet. You'll be glad you did. Now, I do a lot of promotion online, particularly on Facebook and groups and forums. However, most of the groups I'm a member of are dedicated to the work of trumpet players. Well, not every one of my podcast shows is going to be about a trumpeter. The purpose of the show is to showcase musicians you should know. So, on shows where the featured artist is not a trumpeter, I want to include a few words of advice to any trumpeters who tune in. So, since our artist today is a percussionist, here is the trumpet tip of this week. Okay, I often play gigs that last several hours or more, and most of the time those gigs are physically challenging. Yeah, I do poop out now and then. We all do. However, I have developed a bit of a reputation for not only not running out of gas, but also seeming to get stronger, and I put get stronger in quotes, as the night goes on. When I factor in the fact that before any gig, I make sure that I carefully, emphasis on the word carefully, practice at least three to four hours before I leave the house, this often leaves folks wondering, um, how do I pull this off? How do I do this? Well, this is not about strength, like a power lifter or something like that. It's about knowing your techniques. The first thing I do is I make sure that my practice is both very quiet and fragmented. I keep the volume at mezzo piano or even softer for most of the practice. The other thing that I do that might seem unusual, that's unheard of, is I use two embouchures. When I start the fatigue with one set, I'll switch to the other set for a few minutes. This allows my original set to, quote, rest a bit, end quote, before I switch back. The next thing I want to include is I mentioned that I fragment my practice. I never keep the mouthpiece on my lips for three hours at a time. I break it up into little bits and chunks. So a three-hour practice session, a three-hour practice session might take six hours to do. Okay, so it's a it's, it's a job, but it does work. Now, how I set this all up really needs to be seen, not just discussed in a podcast. So the easiest thing to do is to go to www.nickdrawsdoff.com slash educational hyphen videos to see how I do all this. This is completely free and there's a lot of info in there. Okay, now on to the show. I first got to know Thor Bremer as a powerhouse drummer for the band Brass in the Past, a band that was featured in the show a few weeks ago. I was impressed with his work in that context. But then on a gig break, in gig break conversations, uh, I discovered there was a lot more going on in his experience, from his band's Bowtime and Nine Worlds Ensemble to his work doing music and sound design for digital games, uh, video games. 
I'll let Thor tell his own story. But first, let's listen to a rough mix of a project he's currently working on uh, with a very unusual ensemble. This hasn't been released yet, so you are among the first to hear this work. Here's a piece called Helheim, composed and produced by Thor Bremer, who, by the way, is a percussionist on all of these tracks.
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am uh, online here talking to Thor Bremer, drummer and percussionist and composer extraordinaire. And I am um, uh, particularly uh, thrilled to have you here to chat with me today, Thor. I've got a bunch of things I want to bug you about. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's always good to be had, huh? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> trumpet player's humor. The first thing I'd like to do is, when did you decide to make music your life's work? How is this something, uh, how did you know this was something that you wanted to uh, you know, make your career? Well, I actually had a pretty roundabout way of getting there. Um, when I started off, throughout high school, I went through a lot of different phases. I was a musician, mostly, but I was also like the lead actor in the musicals. Uh, I was doing video production and I got really into film. I was uh, in the plays, but I was also always playing in bands and playing in an original band. Uh, but I found like at the, by the end of high school, I was getting really into video production and films. At that point, like DVDs were coming out. So I would watch the director's commentary and I thought, oh, this is really cool. Like I could make this. Because at the time that I was 18, I was pretty much, <laughs> I hate to say, but just a drummer. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> and, and I thought. That's uh, totally I, cool being just a drummer. <laughs> right. I thought, I can't make music. You know, I had a, a one of my, my best friend in high school. Uh, he's currently a, a Broadway guitarist. And, and he was writing music all the time, and I thought, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I knew nothing about music theory. I knew nothing about really like scales or chords, none of it. Um, so I thought writing music's not, not an option, but I could understand, I could like conceptualize filmmaking. So I started off as a film major in college, but, but I quickly discovered that I was actually way better at music and better than I thought I was. Uh, so I just became a music major and through through that, I, I kind of felt like most of my life felt kind of choiceless. Like I didn't feel like I had an option. It was like, well, life just keeps throwing me into music, so yeah, I guess that's what I have to do. Uh, what would you consider to be like your first big break as a professional musician? The, the first big opportunity that allowed you to start, you know, seriously making this a, a way of life to support your family. Well, I actually, the, yeah, the first things would have been uh, kind of two, two or three people, meeting a couple of people in college. I went to UW-Milwaukee, and I met a couple of people who were playing gigs. And one is my uh, my best friend, Troy Fannin, uh, is a sax player, well, was a sax player, he's not anymore. Uh, he's a, uh, mostly a guitar player now uh, out in New York. All, another friend of mine who went to New York. And he was booking gigs, and he had me play a bunch of jazz gigs. And then I met another friend, Dave Brady, in college as well, who introduced me to Lori Babinick, who was like a union contractor in Milwaukee. And so she started booking me for union work, like the festivals in Milwaukee, uh, orchestra gigs. And so I was playing, uh, I was playing with Kansas, the Three Irish Tenors, uh, a couple other things too, and oh, wow. you know, yeah. So all that stuff, you know. I, I so I got got this really cool, diverse experience in Milwaukee, and all of okay. that, yeah. And so that was that was pretty cool. Like a, a lot of variety, which was really interesting. Um, it gave me a really uh, solid base to start from. Um, when we first got started, what did you see? as a necessary survival skills uh, as a professional musician. Um, a lot of the listeners are younger musicians or one of the people who want to be professional musicians, and they're looking for ideas about you know, how to survive. So let's kind of address some of that, if you will. Uh, how, what did you consider to be the necessary survival skills that you needed uh, to develop in order to continue to make this a career? Yeah, I think, well, there's, there's, there's what I'd, you'd call like the hard skills and the soft skills. You know, like the, the hard skills are being able to do stuff. The soft skills is everything that's not happening on stage, you know? Like, don't be an okay. asshole. That's um, interesting. <laughs> 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 um, okay. 
Uh, the so like hard okay. skills. Message for trumpet players or what? <laughs> <laughs> for for everybody, you know. Uh, I went to a conference once. Yeah, where that I was, was just playing. That around. was like that was like the sign. That that was like the opening slide of the person's presentation was exactly that. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, but so the hard skills. A lot of it has to do with, you know, look if you're going into music. You need to really consider what you want. I think, like, what do you want to do? Because you're gonna you're gonna dedicate a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and not probably make a lot of money. So you better like it. Um, you know, if you hate orchestral okay. music, if it's not your passion, uh, I I don't think you should do it. <laughs> like, because yeah, right, yeah you're gonna, that makes yeah, sense of that. So yeah, you're gonna work super hard only to get into an orchestra and then be depressed for your whole life, basically. Uh, so, but but if you really want to make it, uh, be really aware of what you're willing to tolerate, but what you're also not willing to tolerate. Uh, but inside of that, the in terms of hard skills, be really broad, be open to a lot of different things. I learned well, that I versatility, versatility you would say that. Of course, yeah. I, I I mean I personally like a lot of things. So, you know, like Nick, you and I have played together in brass in the past, uh, you know, horn band that you've talked about on the show before. And right. in that band, there's a bunch of different styles I need to be able to play as a drummer. I can't just yeah. I can't just be a bebop drummer. It's you know, if 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 you think you're gonna make a living as a bop drummer in 2020, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but versatility. Well, I'm, uh, uh, you know, great sound, great technique, all that matters. And then in the hard skills and in the soft skills, you're gonna knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to be a good collaborator, knowing how to work with other people, and you know. I see it at my job as a sideman is to make the leader's job easier. So yeah, check your email thinking. a couple like times a day. Yeah, exactly. Like check your email a couple times a day, yeah, yeah. respond to it, like all that sort of stuff. All right. So versatility, a huge, a huge important uh, factor here. When in listening to your CDs, uh, the two CDs in particular that left out to me are the uh, winter songs of the Boltam Quartet. And then the great stone stories, and uh, you have some other things that you've done since then that you will be plugging shortly. <laughs> um, but I was, uh, I, I I worked with you as a drummer, as a rock drummer, like you mentioned with brass in the past, yeah. in particular. But uh, in listening to this music, you've you've got serious mallet skills too, uh, correct? You know, marimba, xylophone, uh, glockenspiel, all the uh, typical uh, percussion instruments. A melodic percussion instruments. Uh, was that something you picked up later on, or was that part of your studies in college? It it was college. It was okay. Uh, I mean, I would say that of my time in undergrad, I spent uh, most of it playing marimba uh, and barely playing drum set at all. I mean, throughout okay. throughout the five years of college, I I got maybe ten drum set lessons, weekly marimba oh, wow. lessons. <laughs> so. Uh, wow. Drum set was wow. always a okay. thing that I, I did on my own because uh, you know I went to I got a classical percussion degree, so it wasn't okay. Yeah, right. no, they weren't interested in teaching me drum set all that much. But my marimba okay. chops, when I graduated, I stopped. I was done. I was like, I'm going to be a working drum set player. I want to play in wedding bands. I want to play jazz clubs. I want to play you know you know rock gigs. I want to do all that stuff. I, I'm done with marimba. I've had enough. <laughs> uh, in 2011, I proposed to my wife, and she's a violinist. And uh -huh. we wanted to play together. And drum set and violin, there's uh, not a whole lot of opportunities for those two instruments to play as a duo. Uh, so... So I thought, well, I, I guess I'll just, <laughs> you know, I'll dust off my mallet chops. So I, I, we started a duo bow time where I was playing mallet cat, you know, which is a mallet synthesizer and it wasn't getting us okay. very far. So eventually I 
sold that to a friend uh, who's currently the percussionist of my group and then traded in my xylophone for a marimba. And so then we do marimba and violin a lot. I was so taken by the music, particularly on the, uh, the uh, Winter Songs album, uh, how unique it was with the mixer of violin, bass, and uh, uh, marimba. I mean, it is really beautiful stuff. And Thank I'm you. Really, I'm just thrilled to be able to showcase that a bit. Do you have 
or have you ever had a day gig? And again, part of this is going to the notion that sure. uh, some of the listeners will be newer musicians. Do you have a day job? Have you ever had a day job? Or has this been exclusively what you've done uh, full-time? I, I have not had a nine-to-five. I've never had one. I teach That's cool. a couple nights a week. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so okay. I, I, I teach, and, and the amount that I've taught in a week has changed many times over the past. Let's see, I graduated my undergrad in 2007. So... You know, the last okay. 13 years, it's changed quite a bit. I, okay. di- I did work as a massage therapist for a year and a half for a couple days okay. a week. So I did that. I did do the, the cruise ship gig uh, for a year playing yeah. drums well, on P&O Australia. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So that, that was cool. Um, for your younger listeners, I can't recommend working on cruises enough. Uh, if you are... Really? I, that's my feeling is... If you are fresh out of college, if you don't have much going on, and chances are you probably don't have much going on, um, go get on a ship. You'll get so much better. You get to see the world. You get to make some money. Go sharpen up your chops on a cruise ship. It's it, it, Thank me later. <laughs> That's an interesting remark. Uh, Josh Jern, a trumpet player that I did a show with uh, several shows back, had the same thing to say. My own son, Colin, uh, cut his teeth on the cruise lines up in Alaska. So, yeah, I think it's a very important concept to bring up at this point. That's interesting. Well, thanks I for mean, sharing. Yeah, I mean, how many how many gigs out there today exist where you play seven nights a week? Yeah, yeah. that's that's huge. Right. <laughs> like, that's exactly. Yeah, I can't I can't yeah. begin to think of where a steady gig exists anymore unless you're in the symphony orchestra. Or on a cruise line, or perhaps in the army and navy, or something. Right. There's there's a couple. I know that there are some other gigs out there, kind of like that. Like there are some overseas hotel gigs uh, that do exist. Yeah. But in the states, a, a, a nightly gig. I, I don't know. I mean, I, as a drummer, or you know, as if your listeners are trumpet players, I, I don't know where you're going to play trumpet every night besides a cruise ship. Okay, kind of a few nuts and bolts things here. How much time do you devote to practice every day as compared to how much time you devote to developing your work and business? You know, the, you know, how much is devoted to the mechanic, mechanics of playing your, your kit and playing your marimba uh, and percussion instruments balanced against to get online and hustle work? This is where some people kind of hate me. Um, no. <laughs> I don't practice drums, and I haven't. I think I've practiced about an hour and a half last year. <laughs> I, well, I listened to you play. I mean, uh, that would not have been something that even popped into my mind. So pray continue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't practice very much drum set. I, I haven't really practiced very much drums. Yeah, probably since about 2012, I haven't practiced the drums. So I put a lot of time in. And, and so here are all the caveats that go with that. What do I consider practicing? And what do I consider, you know, like there's practicing, playing, performing. Okay. And Practicing to me is like sitting down and working on your skills and looking to improve. And that's oh, not something okay. I've, I've done with any, like, I, I did, I've done it for little bits here and there over the last seven years. When there was like, oh, I can't play this song right now. I need to learn how to play it. Then I, I practice it. I, like, I'll work on it. But that hasn't, like, that hasn't really happened in a while. Most, most of the time, if I, you know, get a list of songs, I put them on, I, I make a chart while I listen, because most songs I can learn with one listen and make a chart for them, because okay. the songs don't don't have skills that I don't already have. And then, you know, I teach currently three nights a week. I don't really play very much in most of my lessons, but I'll, I usually play something a little bit. Okay. But, then, but then when I'm on gigs, the gigs are frequently three to five hours. A lot of my chops were built up when I was on the cruise ships playing for three or four hours every day. Okay. And then I would practice uh, a bit on top of that. So with drums, drums is kind of a skill set that I, I built up 
for many years. And when I was younger, I practiced a bunch. I'm 35 now. But then over the past 10 years, I haven't really worked out a lot of the new skills. So, you know, current day Thor is very grateful to young Thor for all the practicing he did. I, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was never the kind of person that I, I never did like eight hour practice sessions or anything like that. I would practice, you know, uh, up to two hours a day sometimes if I was a kid, but but I I have, am a deeply unregimented person. I cannot follow a routine to save my life. I can't do it. I have to kind of follow the muse every day. I feel that drum chops and percussion chops, for me anyway, are easier to maintain uh, than probably in, like an embouchure is for most like wind players. That's those muscles yeah. will just go right away. They'll just be done. Yeah. Uh, but drums, I can I can not play for a month and come back and play a five hour gig with no problem. In in terms of getting better at mallet instruments, the way that I do that is I just write harder songs and then have to learn how to play them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. How about the balance with business? How much time do you feel you need to spend uh, developing business, promoting work, you know, cultivating uh, clients, if you will, uh, you know, band leaders that you work for? Um, uh, to what extent do you feel you need to spend? How many hours a week do you spend doing that sort of thing? Uh, it depends on the week. Kind of along with what I said okay. earlier, I, I'm not very regimented about almost anything. So some weeks I'll put a whole bunch of time into it. And other weeks I don't put a whole lot of time into it. Uh, the, the thing that I would say that I am personally the best at is cultivating and maintaining relationships. Okay. So a lot of it for me, I don't even really think of it as business. I just talk to people and try to maintain a friendship with, with people a lot because mm -hmm. I'm interested in, okay. in maintaining those personal connections uh, with the people that I work for and work with. I'll put a lot of calendar reminders in my in my calendar about, hey, this is the time of year that I know this venue books music, so I'll reach out to them at that point of the year. And that's stuff that I've built up over years, like for my original stuff. Is, and then sometimes I'll just, it'll be the sort of thing where I look at the calendar and go, oh, I need to book more gigs. And so then I'll, <laughs> I'll just get on the emails and, you know, send out a dozen emails. Okay. Something else that, that uh, I should mention is uh, a couple of years ago, I finished my master's degree in video game music and sound design. Not only do I book my original band and talk to band leaders that I work for, for drumming, but then I'm also out there contacting people for video game projects and talking to some of the teams I work on or the people I work for, for like sound design and game music stuff as well. So there's kind of like a huge web of people where, you know, if I don't feel like doing one thing, I'll I'll do one of the other things instead. Wow, it's a, it sounds like a really unique and interesting freelance way of life. Uh, I wanted to uh, see if I guess it'll talk a little bit more about the the uh, video and game uh, sound design stuff uh, because uh, you mentioned earlier that um, you originally started off in film studies and that kind of answered the question for me as to how did you get into that? You got a master's degree in, uh, what was it again? Say that again, please. Uh, yeah, video game music and sound design. Where did you study for that? Uh, so I did it online because I did it okay. a couple of years ago uh, through ThinkSpace. I loved the okay. program. Yeah. Uh, it's, yes, and they are accredited through a university in Chichester in England. And but they're their own okay. pro their own program, and what's super cool about them is they the, all the tutors. It's very project based, so you have a project and a deadline, yeah. and that's it. And then you know there's no scheduled classes. It's just here are all the materials, go through them, and finish the project by this day. I mean, I was working the whole time. I was still I was still freelancing and teaching. And then I would just fit in my oh, yeah. studies, you know, in the the off the other hours I had open. But all the tutors that they have there are currently working in the industry, so that that was 
you know, rather than uh-huh. hiring somebody who made a gold record in 1976, it's, you know, no, these people made, they made a game and spoke at a conference last week, kind of a thing. Like, okay. Okay. You know, so it's keeping up with the, the current zeitgeist. And so I went into that, into that because like a few years ago, I kind of met my goals uh, that I had as a drummer. I wanted to be working in a great band, making a living as a performer and educator. And I reached it where, you know, my wife and I, we bought a house and I was working and it's like, oh, this is great. I did it. And then I'm just like, yeah. all right, well, yeah, like I've kind of always been into video game music and a friend of mine was teaching me more about the production side of things and he moved away and I thought, well, what about pursuing this further? So then I signed up, did the master's degree and uh, finished that about a year and a half ago. I've been working on that stuff ever since. Do you do only film scores or are you primarily doing the video games? Just I'm just interested in games. The film music okay. world okay. is not, yeah, it's not actually what I'm interested in. Purely interested in games, like I wouldn't be opposed to a film score if it if it were to happen someday. But I'm mostly interested in in just doing game audio. Video game music is my favorite music that exists, and, uh. <laughs> and I think it's the the most creative and the most like, you know, uh, on the edge in terms of like creativity and especially for me, personal interests. This is kind of playing into part of what the show is about, and that's to provide ideas for all becoming musicians. This is a fantastic um, uh, train of thought here. Yeah, the two CDs that the two CDs that knocked me out were, of course, Winter Songs, Bull Time Quartet, and then um, Great Stone Stories. And you mentioned to me uh, that you have. Uh, another CD, is it one or two? Tell me about all of your CD projects and your recording, and just tell me everything, and tell our listeners everything about what you're doing. Sure. Great Stone Stories is number three. Uh, Winter Songs is number four. There's a fifth, and then a sixth that's been releasing this year. Wow. The the first two albums were one-off, actually the first three albums, including Great Stone Stories, were one-off projects where I just wrote an album of music, recorded it, and we played it once, and that was it. <laughs> it was just a 10-piece band okay. for the first three albums. I put a 10-piece band of my friends together. We rehearsed it. We played it, and uh, that was it. That was the end of it. Because I thought, you know, okay. putting a 10-piece band together for a regular... I mean, so Great Stone Stories is a Native American folktale rock opera. There's not necessarily a lot of venues. It's really cool. (laughs) Thank you. There's not a lot of venues that are going to want to hear that, like, on a Saturday night, you know? (laughs) Like, sure, Thor. Yeah, I I think it's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it was was a lot of fun to make. I mean, that, that one took me about two years to get recorded. I mean, I wrote it in about four months, but then there's uh, almost an orchestra worth of musicians on there. Uh, So it just took me forever a bit to get everybody on there. And in order to perform it, I took vocal lessons so that I could actually sing everything up that's on there. It's like, wow, (laughs) because when I started it, I couldn't sing some of that stuff. So so I worked with the local teacher, uh, Ethan Sellers.
Winter Songs is that was kind of what we recorded as the Bowtime Quartet as a demo to try and book some gigs. Because after I did those three massive projects, I was like, man, you know, I want to do something a little easier. <laughs> I want to do something that actually uh -huh. can be booked multiple times. I want to put a band together. And okay, so that kind of grew organically after so my wife's name is Sly. Sly and I were playing duo gigs, and we thought, you know, it'd be really cool to add some players to this. And so we added uh, John Lewis and Kurt Bly playing uh, upright bass and acoustic guitar. And so the four of us, we would get together just once a week, and you know, we'd play some tunes. It just kind of organically evolved after a while, where then uh, another friend of mine, Ian Wilson, we were looking to do some music together. So we had all these crazy highfalutin ideas of what we were going to do. And then I decided, hey, why don't you just join my band instead? And so then we added a, a piano player. So the first gig we ever actually played was with piano, but there's no piano on the Winter Songs demo. After that, the my friend Ethan Lofman, who helped me with the recording of all this stuff, his he was dating a girl at that point who was a dancer. She heard the music and wanted to put together a dance show. So there was a whole bunch of dancers that all worked together, and we put together a show in Oak Park called Springing from Winter, which made me write a spring EP as well to go with winter. We played, oh, so we cool. put the, yeah, so we put together this really cool dance collaboration that used all that music. And then, I, so, so then yeah. I thought, okay, well, I've got these two seasons. I'm going to write the rest. So then I wrote uh, fall and summer as well. So I wrote summer and fall, went through all that, and then we recorded all that, which that exists as a double album by Nine Worlds Ensemble called The Seasons. We changed the name so that bow time is what we do when we play cover music, more like corporate events. And then Nine Worlds Ensemble is like the original music entity. So they're kind of two different things. Okay. So Nine Worlds uh -huh. Ensemble is what the group currently uh -huh. is. We released the seasons, uh, and now we just finished tracking our next album called Realms, which is inspired by the Nine Worlds of Norse mythology, which is also where the name of the band comes from. Are you Norwegian? My mom's side of the family is Norwegian. My dad's side is German. So I got the Norwegian okay. name, and my brother Hans got the German name. Uh, how did you fund all this recording? So uh, that's a great question. Myself. <laughs> like pretty much okay. just me and my wife. So all this recording, I've done at home. All of it. Every okay. single bit all has right. been done at home. Sometimes I would take my gear to someone's house to record them. So like the in Great Stone Stories, there's two orchestral pieces uh, so I would go to people's houses to record, like, the oboe part. And, All right, yeah. Yeah, because especially what we started to find was we did do a studio session once with Nine Worlds Ensemble, but all, I could, all we could afford was to do a half day of it. A half day at a reasonably inexpensive studio in Chicago still costs hundreds of dollars. Oh, with yeah. with recording gear uh, as cheap as it is today, we just always felt it was a better investment to buy gear that we and then you know then you can record in your own time for as long as yeah. you like. So we've done we've done everything at home, and then had, I've had a lot of help from friends over the years. On some of my earlier okay. stuff, I had uh, a friend of mine in Milwaukee helps me mix things. A lot of friends have, have been really supportive and helpful with me over all these projects of, you know, either donating time or willing to do it for cheap or free, which is why any of it exists. <laughs> I, I wanted to know, because, you know, I'm working on some projects myself. I know a lot of our listeners are working on projects. Um, a lot of the people that I've been talking to and interviewing uh, have you know, big bands or some sort of band that they are recording, and I'm finding a variety of ways it's being done. Uh, but the one thing that has come back over and over again as a as a common theme 
is the fact that everybody is just paying for all of this out of their pocket uh, and then uh, with a, a I, don't, I don't like to use the word spec or speculative in a negative way, but you know, you're doing it on spec to see if you can make it uh, get out there. Uh, how do you promote your music online? Uh, you know, I, let's just drop the other question here. Where can I find all of this? You know, where is it? Where am I? Where in the in the in the world of the WWW here can we find Thor Bremer's music? Sure, I'm easy to find. You know, my website is thorbremer.com. Uh, NineWorldsEnsemble.com. Nine Worlds is on Spotify. I think it's some other places too. My first three albums are only on my Bandcamp. Uh, the first two albums, they're. They're nice bits of my history, but I'm not promoting them. <laughs> you know, like there's okay. there's there's some okay. there's some cool ideas in there, but yeah. they're not they're not exactly the sort of thing where I mean they they just don't hold up today, especially in production quality. And and so to all your listeners, I I also say just keep keep making stuff as well. Like make a lot of stuff and don't you know don't go into debt making this stuff you know if you want to make a recording don't you know don't go into debt making making albums just just get it done get it out there that's thor t-h-o-r bremer b-r-e-m-e-r there's only one m in there yep. <laughs> I, yes i kept putting two in my head was going there's got to be another m in there for the love of people <laughs> and, and nope how do you feel about putting uh, music online so people can here, even if you don't uh, derive an immediate chance to make income uh, from it uh, with the online presence. There's a lot of ways to make all this stuff work, to make uh, a music career work. There are, there's a, there are people out there, for example, there's a composer out there named uh, Kevin McLeod who he has... Okay. He's a massive, massive composer on the internet where he has a huge selection of royalty-free music um, that he just allows people to use completely for free. And you will find it everywhere. You will find it in every YouTube video. You'll find it everywhere. So for the people who don't care that that their videos sound the same, then there you go. Uh, you can use that, okay. but but as a promotional tool, his library of free stuff gives him so much um, like name recognition and uh, advertising. Uh, 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 uh. So then people go, "Hey, your stuff sounds great, but I'd like you to do something original for me." Like I have to put it out for free in order to book shows. Um, okay. You know, even just to 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 say to show people, this is what our group sounds like. You know, come and let us do a concert, or come and hire us for a concert, or whatever. Spotify is giving you a yeah. place yeah. to put it out there. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. I have other friends that that get Spotify checks every month that are not small. You know, <laughs> it's. It's what, yeah, and, and to me, it's like it's paid radio. If your music is is remotely popular, you get money off Spotify and those sorts of services. I, I I'm always curious about how people, and I guess this is a language that's kind of evolved from all of this. How people monetize their music online. Um, do you have any more you can add to that? You've already offered quite a bit of great ideas. Are there any other last thoughts you can add about uh, how to you know, more intensely monetize your music online? Yeah, I am not a great source for this. Uh, I, I don't make much, really anything uh, off of a lot of that stuff. In terms of monetizing your work online, I personally don't, you know, have much of a way that I personally do it, but I have friends that, uh, for example, they, um, my friend Steve Edwards runs a group called Guitar Azul, who, uh, they are a Spanish guitar group, and it's very accessible music, and really great sounding music, 
well played, well recorded, and I'm pretty confident that his music is on like guitar, uh, like Spanish guitar playlists. So that means if you get that music in a playlist, those playlists are going to be played, you know, all over the world in pretty much any restaurants or venue that's playing that kind of music. So you know, every time those songs get played on those kinds of lists, it's going to get a hit that, you know, that's, that's going to add up pretty quick. And, and you know, I know that, for example, I know he earns a certain amount of money on Spotify, but, you know, for my semi avant-garde chamber music, maybe it's not, there may not yeah. be quite as many places yeah, playing it. <laughs>
music that people can hear online um, develops live work, you know, uh, performances uh, in um, concert halls or uh, performance venues around Chicago. Um, am I correct in drawing that conclusion? Yeah, I mean, you can't book a group today unless you have some promotional material. So, you know, a lot of it's kind of a calling card. And I think is additionally, the fact that I have this body of work that can be found by people, uh, like even, you know, by you, by you inviting me on this show, you're able to see all this yeah. work. Like, hey, this yeah. is this is cool stuff. I, you know, let's, let's pick his brain. Yeah. You know, yeah. It opens up opportunities that are more than just, you know, the word of mouth or, you know, whatever might happen by, and, and also, but I don't really do it. I know for me, I don't do it for any of those reasons. I do it because I, I have to. I, I just, I need to for myself. Yeah, I. <laughs> it, it's interesting. Up uh, two weeks ago, I did a show. Um, you know, I talked with Phil Theo and some other people, and one of the things we, uh, in the course of our conversations, was the notion that uh, you know, as musicians, we have to share it. It's not. This is not an option. It's part of who we are. Just playing in your basement or in your home studio and never letting it get out to be heard just doesn't work. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think it should work. Uh, it's Music is supposed to be shared. So, yeah, good on you. <laughs> um, uh, Thor, I have a concluding question that I like to ask my guests. Uh, so here's the premise. We want to encourage newer musicians to pursue their dreams. How would you advise a young new musician first out of school to wisely pursue their dream to be a professional um, music artist this day and age? I, I feel, yeah, this, this kind of harkens back to a couple things I said at the beginning, which I feel that yeah. it, and this is an ongoing quest for all of us all the time. At, at any stage in life, which is know thyself, you know, know yourself, like yeah, know man. what you are really like, where are you at? What is it that you that you really want? If you want to be a performer, the, all right. So here's some of my advice. There are sacrifices that must be made to do this. At any at any amount, any amount. Like even if you're doing this as a hobby, a tiny piece of a hobby is someday. Like there are sacrifices, uh, and know yourself and how much you're willing to to give to this, and how much of yourself you're willing to give. I'm personally willing to give a lot, uh, an awful lot. Yeah. You know, my wife and I are not having children. Like <laughs> we. Yeah. We we yeah. save we save money and we pretty much just we invest like most of our money goes into investing into our business and into our you know continued musicianship. So when I say know yourself, you know there there's a lot of people you're going to meet that are going to serve as archetypes for you, whether it's someone who is a pure purely a hobbyist, they they work a nine to five somewhere else. And then in their in their free time, they go and sit in their basement and play an instrument and nothing else. Uh, there's going to be somebody else who they have a day job, but then they also are playing gigs, you know, prof at a professional level, and they have a family, and you know, maybe you know, I'm thinking of my friend who she's a lawyer and a mom and a violinist. Like, there's. And then there's there's other people where it's like they want to play music only. If you want to play music only, there's uh, that's it. That's a hard path. There's, I mean, every path has its challenges, but there's certain ch paths that are quite challenging. Like you're going to sacrifice an awful lot in order to only play an instrument. That's really hard. It's really hard to do. If you can know yourself and what you really, really, really want, and what you really, really want might be to have a family and some stability, uh, a full-time musician's life might make that hard. <laughs> it just might, you know, uh, in today's day. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so you may have to find something else too. 
uh, so find something else that you are like, you know, okay with. But I can't say enough. Like, know yourself and what, how much you're interested in investing. Thor, again, I think we're done here. You've really um, uh, had, you know, a great deal of say today, and I can't uh, wait to put the show uh, online next week. So uh, I want to thank you, Thor Brummer, for being here and joining me today. And uh, I really appreciate it and look forward to hearing more and more of your music. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Nick. Well, I want to thank Thor Bremer once again for this amazing conversation. This really seems like a tutorial in survival for professional musicians in the 21st century. I do hope the out-of-box thinking expressed here helps trigger ideas for other musicians out there. I just thought this was wonderful. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Variable D Possible and Ensemble Projects Podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawstoff, signing off. Till next week, don't stop the music. Peace.